Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst, Glenn Kirshner. Donald Trump's lawyer in the E. Jean Carroll rape trial is trying every trick in the book to gain some ground. But is it working? Here's Glenn. So friends, day after day after day, Donald Trump's defense attorney slash attack dog, Joey Takapina, I know, continues to cross-examine Donald Trump's victim, E. Jean Carroll. But maybe as an indication that Team Trump doesn't think it's going so good for them. The defense team filed a motion for a mistrial with Judge Kaplan, a mistrial. Wow, sounds dramatic, right? It's not. And we'll talk in a minute about why it's not dramatic, but first, let's look at the new reporting. This from the New York Times, headline, Carol's suit against Trump continues as judge denies mistrial motion. And that article begins, the writer, E. Jean Carroll's case, accusing Donald Trump of raping her in a department store dressing room, continues Monday in federal district court in Manhattan. The case against the former president, who has denied all wrongdoing, began last Tuesday and was expected to last one to two weeks. Mr. Trump's lawyers on Monday filed an unsuccessful motion for a mistrial, arguing that the court had made pervasive, unfair, and prejudicial rulings. Witch hunt? Okay, I added the witch hunt comment, but kind of sounds familiar, right? The article continues. Judge Lewis Kaplan denied a motion filed by Mr. Takapina asking him to declare a mistrial. Among other complaints, Mr. Takapina had argued that the judge had mischaracterized evidence to favor Ms. Carroll and improperly bolster her testimony, allowed her to note that Mr. Trump had two tables worth of lawyers while prohibiting the defense from noting she had a similar number, and wrongly sustained argumentative objections to his questions. Here's what Joey Takapina said, quote, while defendant recognizes that the court has discretion with respect to evidentiary matters, Mr. Takapina wrote, there comes a point where the cumulative effect of its one-sided rulings manifests a deeper leaning towards one party or another. Uh, motion denied. You know, friends, I was a prosecutor for 30 years. Do you know how many times defense attorneys made motions for a mistrial? More times than I can count. You know how often they were successful? You know how many times the case was dismissed because the judge granted the defense motion for a mistrial? Let me count it up. Three, carry the seven. Zero. Zero in 30 years. 
countless mistrial motions made, zero mistrial motions granted by judges. Mistrial motions are largely frivolous, not always, but they are more often than not completely meritless, baseless, frivolous even. So why do defense attorneys make motions for a mistrial? Because a mistrial throws the whole case out, right? Mid-trial, it's over, done. And then they have to argue over whether the prosecution or the plaintiff in a civil case gets to rebring it or not. It's a dramatic remedy. Why do defense attorneys make mistrial motions? For a few reasons. One is because in the very unlikely event that the judge gets the motion wrong and actually should have granted the motion for a mistrial because Judge Kaplan says to himself, you know what, you're right, I have been completely unfair and biased, right, in favor of E. Jean Carroll, so I'm gonna grant the mistrial based on my own unfairness, right? How much sense does that make? But in the unlikely event, the case gets appealed and some appellate court judge says to himself or herself, you know, maybe there should have been a mistrial declared here. If the defense didn't make the mistrial motion at the time of trial, then he waived the right to raise that issue on appeal. He didn't preserve it. That's why defense attorneys are often making mistrial motion after mistrial motion. In the unlikely event some appellate court judge thinks maybe it should have been a mistrial, well, if you didn't make the motion, you waived your right on appeal to raise the motion. So you're preserving it for appeal. That's one reason. Another reason defense attorneys make mistrial motions is to get their opposing counsel off their game, right? Try to knock them off center. Try to make them spend long nights writing replies to bogus mistrial motions. The third reason, the reason, you know, the Joey Takapinas of the world might make a mistrial motion in a case like this for the public relations value. Because what are we now sitting here talking about and what have we seen countless stories on cable news today discussing Donald Trump's motion for a mistrial in the E. Jean Carroll case. Something must have gone desperately wrong. Nothing went wrong and Judge Kaplan properly denied Donald Trump's motion for a mistrial. Okay, let's turn to another aspect of this story that frankly is particularly disgusting. What is Donald Trump doing while his defense attorney slash attack dog Joey Takapina is endlessly cross-examining a woman who the evidence suggests Donald Trump uh, sexually assaulted and then defamed some accounts say that that cross-examination at times is, is pretty demeaning and insulting. What is Donald Trump doing while this is what's going on in his assault and defamation trial? Here's what Donald Trump is doing. He posted this today. We'll be leaving for Scotland and Ireland soon in order to see and inspect my great properties there. The golf courses and hotels are among the greatest in the world. Turnberry in Aberdeen in Scotland and Dunbeg in Ireland. We'll be meeting with many wonderful friends and cutting a ribbon for a new and spectacular second course in Aberdeen. 
very exciting, despite the fact that it is make America great again that is on my mind. In fact, America will be greater than ever before. That is what Donald Trump is doing while Joey Takapina cross-examines Eugene Carroll. You know what, friends? Two other witnesses are going to testify. Two other women who alleged they were sexually assaulted by Donald Trump. The jury will hear from them. The jury will also hear the Access Hollywood tape where Donald Trump announced precisely what he does, how he behaves, how he has zero regard for women. He said, when you're when you're a star, you can walk up and grab them by the pee. They just, they let you do it. The jury will be hearing that evidence. Let me finish with this, friends. Takapina endlessly cross-examined E. Jean Carroll on the fact that as Donald Trump was attacking her, she didn't scream. So according to Takapina, that proves that she made it up. It didn't happen. She's lying in court under oath. She's lying because she didn't scream. You know what, friends? Sometimes sexual assault victims don't scream. They are often in shock. They're scared. They're petrified. They are stunned. They're ashamed, perhaps embarrassed. And they don't scream. Sometimes they don't report it. Why? Because they don't want to have to testify about what someone did to them in a public forum with strangers watching, only to be endlessly accused by the Joey Takapinas of the world of being liars. You know, Donald Trump might as well have said in his Access Hollywood tape, man, when you're a star, they let you do it. I walk right up, I grab him by the pee. And you know what? Most of the time, they don't even scream. Let's hope Miss Carroll gets the justice that she so richly deserves. Because justice matters. Coming up next is a note from the jury sent to the judge in the Proud Boys trial, a sign that they're having trouble in their deliberations. This is Justice Matters. Hi, Beowulf here with Justice Matters, and I'm here to remind you about one of the best decisions I've made recently, getting Factor meals. Eating is so much easier for me with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor is flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up today and save. I've done the math and I can tell you Factor is less expensive than takeout. And every meal is dietitian approved, nutritious, and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and start meeting your meal and nutrition goals. Head over to factormeals.com slash glen50 and use code glen50 to get 50% off. 
That's code GLEN50 at Factormeals.com slash GLEN50 to get 50% off. Remember, go to Factormeals.com slash G-L-E-N-N-5-0 and use code GLEN50 to get 50% off today. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The jurors deliberating the fate of the five Proud Boys who are charged with various crimes in connection with the January 6th riots have sent a note to the judge asking about seditious conspiracy. Does this mean they're deadlocked? Here's Glenn. So friends, a D.C. jury is now deliberating in the Proud Boys seditious conspiracy case. The case took about four months to try. I spent some time in and out of the courtroom. I watched some of the closing arguments, and the jury is now deliberating. They've been out for about three or four days, and they just sent a note out to the judge asking a couple of questions. Here is a copy of that very note, and we're going to focus on the second question. They asked the judge the following. We did not receive instructions on what to do if the jury does not reach unanimity on a charge. How should we proceed in this scenario? So friends, let's talk about what that note means and also importantly, what that note doesn't mean. But let's start with the new reporting regarding the jury deliberations in the Proud Boys case. Headline. Jurors struggle over at least one charge in Proud Boys seditious conspiracy trial. And that article begins, Jurors deliberating the fate of five Proud Boys charged with seditious conspiracy in connection with the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol appear to be struggling with the charges against at least some of the defendants. The jury sent a note to U.S. District Judge Timothy Kelly Tuesday morning asking for additional instruction, asking what to do if they do not agree on all charges. Quote, we did not receive instructions on what to do if the jury does not reach unanimity on a charge. How should we proceed in this scenario? The note stated in part. The jury began deliberating on Wednesday and did not deliberate on Friday morning, meaning they spent roughly the equivalent of three full days considering the case before sending the note. Judge Kelly ultimately sent a note back to the jury, telling them that they were allowed to deliver a partial verdict and saying to send him a note if they ended up in a situation where they were deadlocked on a charge. Enrique Tario, Joseph Biggs, Ethan Nordine, Dominic Pozzola, and Zachary Reel each face nine counts, including the rare charge of seditious conspiracy under a Civil War era statute. Pozzola, who was caught on video smashing in a window with a Capitol Police shield during the breach, and who admitted to his behavior on the stand, faces an additional charge over the stolen police shield. Okay, friends, let's take this one step at a time. 
This is going to be something of a Team Justice Law School class. I'll try to keep it moving. I'll try to keep it interesting so you don't tune out or worse, not off. You know, when I'm teaching my criminal justice students at George Washington University, I try very hard to keep it interesting, keep them engaged. And I will say I have some very engaged students. In fact, they inspire me and leave me optimistic all day, every day. But let's take this one step at a time. First of all, the jury has not been deliberating that long. It was a four-month trial they've been deliberating for about four days. We are nowhere near sort of hung jury territory. So the judge properly said, thank you for your note. Go ahead and continue your deliberations. That's step one, and that was entirely appropriate for the judge to do. Second step, if the jury sends out another note saying, judge, we tried, we're hopelessly deadlocked. We don't see the prospect of a unanimous verdict on one count or another. Then the time will be right for the judge to give them what's called an anti-deadlock instruction. We typically refer to it as an Allen charge. Why Allen? Well, in 1896, there was a case in which a judge gave an anti-deadlock instruction. That issue went all the way up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court approved of anti-deadlock instructions. So this is what the judge will say to the jury in the event they send another note out saying they are hopelessly deadlocked. It's a fairly short legal instruction and it reads as follows. Members of the jury, you have reported that you have been unable to reach a unanimous verdict in this case. I have decided to suggest a few additional thoughts to you. As jurors, you have a duty to discuss the case with one another and to deliberate in an effort to reach a unanimous verdict if each of you can do so without violating your individual judgment and conscience. Each of you must decide the case for yourself, but only after you consider the evidence impartially and with your fellow jurors. During your deliberations, you should not hesitate to re-examine your own views and change your opinion if you become persuaded that it's wrong. You should not, however, change an honest belief as to the weight or effect of the evidence solely because of the opinions of your fellow jurors or for the mere purpose of returning a verdict. I also remind you that in your deliberations, you are to consider the instructions that I have given you as a whole. You should not single out any part of any instruction, including this one, and ignore others. They are equally important. What I have just said is not meant to rush you or pressure you into agreeing on a verdict. Take as much time as you need to discuss things. There is no hurry. I ask that you now return to the jury room and continue your deliberations with these additional comments in mind. So friends, in my experience, sometimes an anti-deadlock instruction, and there are different versions that are given in different courts and different jurisdictions, sometimes an anti-deadlock instruction has the effect of sort of jump-starting deliberations and jurors begin to perhaps listen a little bit more openly to their fellow jurors, to opposing opinions, and it's not at all unusual after an anti-deadlock instruction is given by the judge for a jury to reach unanimous verdicts. It's also not unusual for juries to be unable to reach unanimous verdicts and for a hung jury to occur and therefore a mistrial to be declared. Okay, friends, let's go on to the next step. 
What happens if the jury reaches unanimous verdicts on some counts, but not other counts? Uh, I'm not gonna go through all of the notes that have been sent out, there have been several, and there is at least some suspicion that the, the Proud Boys jury may be having a hard time reaching a unanimous verdict on the lead count, seditious conspiracy. But it may very well be that they're gonna easily resolve all of the other eight counts against these five defendants with guilty verdicts. And I'm not gonna go into the backstory about why that is sort of the suspicion based on everything we've seen, but let's just assume hypothetically that they hang on the lead count, the big one, seditious conspiracy, but convict the defendants on all of the other counts. What happens then? First of all, is that a win or is that a loss for the Department of Justice, for the prosecutors who brought these very forward-leaning charges, seditious conspiracy charges, which are not often brought in our criminal justice system? I don't think it would be a loss. Now, I know people accuse me of always seeing the justice glass as being half full. I suppose I'm guilty of that. But here's why I say, in my view, it will not be a loss. First of all, if they convict these defendants on all of the other counts, but they hang on the seditious conspiracy count, they're still going to be facing years and perhaps decades in prison. So the prosecutors will then have lots of leverage over these defendants. And here's the other thing. When a, a, a jury hangs on a count, the prosecutors can retry that count. So think about what the prosecutors will be able to do tactically. They'll be able to step to these five defendants and say, you're now convicted on eight of the nine counts we brought against you. You're now facing years, maybe more than a decade in prison, and it's not over yet because we can retry you on the lead count, the seditious conspiracy count, if we choose to, or you can now minimize the damage that you've done to yourself. You can decide to start cooperating with us, tell us everything you can about your fellow Proud Boys, about other white supremacist groups, and about any political actors, if you have any truthful information about Trump and company, for example. And if you do, we won't rebring the seditious conspiracy charge, the lead charge. And if you do, we may also let the judge know at the time you are sentenced on your eight convictions that you did assist the government, the prosecution. You did try to help make right what you all made so very wrong on January 6th. So you can potentially minimize your sentence, your prison time. How about it? So that will actually be added leverage the prosecutors will have in the event the jury hangs on the lead count, the seditious conspiracy charge. Now there will be some who will trumpet that this is a great failure. The government did not succeed on the lead charge, only all these lesser charges. Well, you know, there's nothing lesser about charges like obstructing law enforcement, obstructing an official proceeding, obstructing law enforcement of, during civil disorder, assaulting officers, etc. You know, if the prosecutors win convictions on all those counts, that ain't no small potatoes. And here's the thing, 
Give me a prosecutor who is willing to take the difficult, challenging, politically charged count of seditious conspiracy, a rarely deployed charge. Give me prosecutors who are unafraid of losing. Those are the kind of prosecutors I want handling the insurrection cases, and frankly, all cases at the Department of Justice. I want without fear or favor kind of prosecutors who aren't so afraid of losing that they decline to bring the challenging charges. So the way I see it, there will be no shame and there will be some tactical upside if the jury hangs on the lead count, seditious conspiracy, but convicts the so-called proud boy defendants of all other charges. At the end of the day, I will see that as justice. And justice matters. Friends, thank you for bearing with me through that lengthy tutorial. Please stay safe. Please stay tuned. And I look forward to talking with you all again soon. For more on Glenn, go to Glenn Kirshner 2 on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. This is Justice Matters.